Praise comes around. We never recognize your visit. We would greatly appreciate that. If you're joining us online, we also want to welcome you and ask you to consider being here in the sanctuary with us at Robertson Avenue. Come and be a part of what God's doing here at RABC. Oh, my goodness, I have several announcements I want to share with you, so I'm going to get right into that. Number one, I know you've been praying for what's happening down in the Florida Gulf Coast, up into the Carolinas, and even into Georgia with Hurricane Ian. So uh, some people have come and said, Pastor, how can I help? Well, number one, start praying. Amen? Never stop praying. Pray for them. We have sisters churches there. We have brothers and sisters Christians there. And we have lost people that need to come to know Jesus in there. And I don't know about you, but unfortunately, disaster is a wonderful opportunity to bring the gospel. And where people usually aren't open, they are open during disaster times. So be in prayer for the chaplains. Be in prayer for those witnesses and ministers to get down there, or you can get involved yourself. And how you can do that is our association, the Southern Baptist of Texas Convention, that's what we're still affiliated with, uh, they have sent out a disaster relief team, and you could get involved in that. So all you have to do is go to sbtexas.com slash disaster relief, uh, and you could volunteer. You can be trained to go down there. One, two, you can donate there. Three, they have prayer points that you can get involved in. And I'll see if I can get some of those pulled up. This came from our local association this morning. So didn't have time to print them out for you, but we'll see if we can get some of those up for you to see this evening. Uh, some of those prayer points we can share out there. All right. Uh, with that being said, I want to thank each and every one of you that participated and helped in uh, Katie's surprise wedding shower. God bless you. Thank you for that. It was a blessing to my family, a blessing to my future daughter-in-law, who's already family to me. And uh, we are so grateful for that. I also want to thank each and every one of you for praying for my mom. Uh, how is mom doing? A lot of people ask me, well, we really, really need some prayers. Uh, things are moving faster than we would like, but so it's, it's painful and hard on us. So please be in, in prayer for us as we're facing the inevitable times that are coming. All right. Uh, church, I want to remind you, of course, today at 4.30, we'll have choir slash cantata practice. Is that right, Brother Robert? So we'll go over the choir for next Sunday first, and then cantata afterwards. I think we're actually starting to sing this week. Is that right? Instead of just listening to you. Thank you, Brother Robert. So choir slash cantata practice. You're invited. Come and be a part of that. Uh, and you can get in on that Christmas cantata time frame. Six o'clock evening worship. You don't want to miss that. And, of course, we'll pick up with our regular schedule activities uh, starting with the week. However, I want to share with you about Tuesday. Tuesday is a neat, neat, neat time. We are going to have a block party here at Avenue Baptist Church celebrating National Night Out. And what that does is goes to show our support, our prayer for our first responders, that's police, firefighters, and of course, emergency medical technicians and responders. So be in prayer about that. It's also a wonderful opportunity to outreach the community. We're going to be putting up our bounce house music, some games out there, and I believe we're going to have some hamburgers and hot dogs. Here's the things we need from you. We need side dishes. We need baked beans. We need potato chips. We need cheesecake and pies, and I will help you eat them. Amen? So we need those things. Uh, last year, we had a wonderful crowd for National Night Out. The police show up. They come in the McGruff outfit, you know, the McGruff gun dog. Uh, the fire department shows up in a a ladder truck, and they like to blow their siren a, a time or two and things like that. So uh, that's a real neat time. So come and be a part of that. Support us in that. It's Tuesday. Starts at 6. If you need to help set up, you do need to help set up. Please be here at 5. We'll be in the courtyard just outside in the grass. 
Lord just hope and pray that's what we're going to be staging that. So pray for us, help us, and bring us side dudes in that. Uh, ladies Bible study on Tuesday. I know that's going to be canceled from that till night out, uh, but is that going to be picked back up the following week? Is that right? What about what about Tuesday morning service? Is that canceled as well? Now, Tuesday morning services will happen. So Tuesday morning services will happen, and that's at 9.30. At the church, but Tuesday evening services will be having an extra night out. All right, Wednesday, Bible study, prayer service, 6.30 right here in the, in the sanctuary, and then Thursday night, men's Bible study at 6.30. So I think that's all of our upcoming announcements other than our OCC announcement to have. And I'm going to ask DJ, do you want to share that? Or do you want me to go ahead and do that? Okay. So coming up October 21st, church, get ready for this, start praying for it, is our Chick-fil-A OCC fundraiser. And that is uh, where you get to go to Chick-fil-A. And I don't know about you, but that's one of my favorite places to go. I fell in love with that honey barbecue sauce. I think I could drink it, like, out of a cup. It's amazing to me. And you go there and just mention the word OCC, or Operation Christmas Child. And 10% of your order goes to Operation Christmas Child. So please go and have dinner that night. It's going to be from 5 to 8 p.m. October 21st. The church is going to have people there. Youth group is going to be there. Some of the other folks, I'm going to be there dressed up as an OCC shoebox. You don't want to miss that. So you got to be there and just mention that OCC, whether you go inside or whether you go to the drive-thru. There will be a lot of support there. We'll be inside. There will be a display inside. You can actually pick up a shoebox there. Incidentally, you can get a shoebox in my office now if you want one. There's a display in the office. Open up the door, reach in, grab a shoebox, everything you need is inside. Pack it, fill it up, and bring it back to the church. And we'll ship it out for you. How about that? What's not the right? All right. Uh, there are a couple of OCC fundraisers coming up because, unfortunately, it does cost a lot to ship those boxes out. So we have two separate accounts coming up. If you are donating towards our shipping or shopping, could you please designate down in the member of your check or in the envelope you put it in if you're doing cash for shipping or shopping OCC. Well, let me get on with our other OCC fundraisers. Number one, coming up the 14th, we have a meal fundraiser. And so, uh, Ms. Esther can give you more details about that than I can, but I want to tell you that's going to be on October 14th from 5 to 7. It's a Friday evening. Uh, you can come and get cabbage rolls or creamy herb chicken, get some mashed taters, corny green beans, a salad with dressing, and of course, the price of your meal goes to our OCC shipping. And so, uh, we'll also have coming up our yard sale, which goes to OCC as well. On October 21st, uh, that's when we'll be preparing for it. And October 22nd, the Saturday, right? We have that yard sale from 8 to 2. If you're interested in that, you can contact the office and start reserving your tables now. So I think that's it for our upcoming uh, events. Other than if you're on the ministry team, next Sunday we'll be meeting at 4 o'clock to be prepared for that. I think that's everything, unless I've missed one. Praise God. God is good or not. The yard sale coming up on the 22nd. Great. So vendors will be there as well. And I may have a table myself. So come and visit me at my table. So we'll see what happens there. All right. Let's pray together. After we pray, would you please rise and welcome one another? And after our welcome, I have a short OCC video I'd like for you to see. Let's pray together. Father, come down in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be in your house this morning. Bless us now as we go into worship. May we worship you in truth and spirit. May we give you the praise, the honor, and glory. And I pray, Father God, that your spirit will fall down like rain. May, Lord, there be a movement, a revival, a renewal, a rejoicing in your house today, Lord. And I just
just pray, Father God, that you work through, we give the glory to you, Father God. And I pray, Lord, we would acknowledge the Holy Spirit for being here. And I pray, Father God, that we would exalt the Son through your Spirit today. I also pray, Lord, you be with those who are out traveling, those who are out sick. Let them know their love and pray for them. Bring them safely back again to see us. And so we ask all these things in Jesus' great and mighty name. Amen. So please rise and welcome one another. Make our way back to our seats. I do have that short OCC video. I'd like for you to see. My child, I know in your heart you have many fears. You are tired and weary from the life you see. Sometimes it feels meaningless. I don't want you to fear anything. Because I'm with you. I'm your Heavenly Father. I'm a fountain of hope. I'm the beginning.
beginning and the end. There is no greater love than mine. You can trust me. Jesus as a gift for you. He laid down his life because he loves you. This was my plan before the world began. And Christ himself is the way your sins are forgiven. And not only yours, but the whole world. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. I want you to know my perfect love for you. I have sent you the greatest gift so you can know my son and your sins will be removed move your heart closer to me and i will move even closer to you i am cheering you on through my people i will show you my ways i have told you all this so that you will have peace with me there will still be trouble in this world but don't worry i have overcome it i will keep your heart safe Nothing will get between our love. Walk with me, and I will be a light upon your path. I will be your strong tower. I am knocking at the door of your heart. Will you let me in?
Psalm 23, verse 6, it says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Oh, you just don't know how much I want to shout this song. It's been two weeks. I've been like, like I'm, I'm just swaying. Pray for me too.
done. Well done, Sister Sonia, Brother Gwen. Thank you so much. We all need to be encouraged to sing of the goodness of God. Amen? If you have your Bibles with you, come and preach the book of Galatians. Book of Galatians. I'm going to do something that I don't do too often. I never have been a fan of them. People ask me why, and I can't give you a reason why. It's just something that I've never felt competent in doing sermon series. Um, I have fellow preachers who will preach through a book and, you know, to each their own. I have no condemnation or anything like that to them. They do a wonderful job at it and they're good at it. I can't do that. I'm not that kind of guy. I never have been that kind of guy. I am a reader of my Bible. I stay in that Bible. Lord, something touches me in the morning and something touches me in the afternoon and something touches me in the evening. That'll be my next sermon. And you may, I'll be in three different books through the day. And so I have a hard time with that over my life building sermon series, but this week, as I began to build the sermon, I realized I can't get it all in one sermon, no matter how hard I try. Well, I wanted to try, I started working out. So, I started looking at something called the crisis of the cross. This is part one. We're going to do this over the next two Sundays, or this Sunday plus two more three Sundays. So it'll be a part two and a part three just Sunday morning. Not going to do it Sunday night, still Wednesday night. Sunday night, tonight will be a totally different sermon. So you don't have to come tonight to finish the series. But uh, I do want to encourage you to be here tonight. You don't want to miss that sermon. I'm telling you that. The crisis of the cross fits us all. If you're a believer, anyways, if you're not a believer, it just a bunch of gives Part one, of course, is called the controversy. That's what we're going to look at, the controversy of the cross. There is no shortage of great things to say about the cross. We have wonderful songs, and we sang some this morning, and I've always find it amazing when the song service fits in with the sermon. I do. I find that a, a miracle, and I find it an act of God. And my music ministers throughout 30 years can testify, I never, ever, ever go into office and say, this is what I'm preaching on, find appropriate music. I will tell you right now, they have done it. No exception in this church. What are you preaching on next week? And I'll tell them, if you're praying and I'm praying, God will work it out. I've done that for 30 years. There is no shortage of great things to say about the cross. We have songs like At Calvary. Beautiful song. Mercy there is great. And great. Well, you know the song. Grace is great. song like Glorious Day. Jesus paid it all. We have a whole host of modern-day songs like the newsboys sing, We believe. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the cross. We believe in the resurrection. Two remakes now that you're on the radio of old hymns that put the different things. But I believe that none of us can forget that old hymn that I was so touched when Brother Glenn played, The Old Rugged Cross. You know it quite well. There's a picture of it right there. And, of course, the first verse of that song there. I don't think there's a Baptist alive that hasn't sung that song. If you haven't, you're going to the wrong church. Amen. Turn with me, please, to the book of Galatians, chapter 6. Let's begin. This, this particular verse will be in all three of our sermons in the series, The Crisis of the Cross. The crisis is broke down into three 
foot in the street and talk. You might have heard it different ways in your life. You know, as we all pick up our cross and follow after Jesus, we experience controversy, conflict, and crisis. And that's what we're going to focus in on this morning. Look at me in verse 14. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. Let's go to the Lord and pray. Father, put it down in Jesus' name. I want to thank you for the opportunity to be in your house this morning. Bless us now. We trust you. Help our hearts to hear from you. As we look at your word, Lord God, would you edify us? Would you equip us? Would you encourage us? Would you educate us, Father God, to be more about your business? And I pray, Father God, if there be anyone in this house who needs to come to know you as personal Lord and Savior, or needs to surrender their heart to you, would let today be that day? As we prepare our hearts, Lord God, for the Lord's Supper, I pray, Lord, that today be a day of renewal and revival and repentance and restoration. I pray, Father God, that there would be a time which we might glorify and magnify your holy name. And I give you right now the praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' name. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, whom the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. Now to go ahead and put things out there for you. Every Christian, every Christian has a battle with the devil, with the world, and with flesh. We don't preach about that, I think, enough in the Baptist church, but we do. Every one of us. When you become a Christian, you have signed on to that battle. A battle with the devil, a battle with the world, and a battle with your own flesh. And nine times out of ten, it's our own flesh that gets us. We like to blame it on the devil. We like to blame it on the world, but it's our own flesh. And here in Galatians 6.14, we've been given the prescription to defeat that overcome what often keeps us from doing God's will. God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the world has been crucified for me, and Paul says, and I to the world. And I will tell you right now, you will crucify yourself. You will pick up your cross and follow after Jesus. Then the world will have nothing it can offer you because you will be dead to the world. You will crucify yourself. Your flesh can no longer tempt you because you will be dead to it. If you will crucify yourself and pick up your cross and follow after the Lord, and the devil will have no foothold on you. There's nothing that can tempt you with. That's why Paul says, I am crucified in the world. Let's look at what it means to boast only. about the stains on the cross, the stains that Jesus put on there. Uh, and so as I looked into the cross over many, many, many sermons, I remember in seminary and I remember in Bible school, how many times we went in there looking at the stains of the cross. But today I want to look at what it means for us to embrace the cross and Jesus only to me. In fact, let's look to see what Jesus said about carrying the cross. Look at here in Luke 9, 23. It says, then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. We are to pick up our cross daily. And those of you that are Christians, those of you that will be strong enough to admit we have a battle with the devil, with the world, and with our flesh daily. We know that every day we pick up our cross. It seems like when it's time to rest, 
We lay that cross down. We climb in the bed. We wake up in the morning and we have the same choice we always have. Pick up that cross and leave it plainly. Sometimes we leave it laying, move on. Sometimes we pick it back up. When we pick up our cross, we also pick up a battle with the world, the flesh, and the devil. We're going to talk to you about that. This sermon series will cover the controversy of the cross in the world, the conflict of the cross in the world, and the cost of carrying the cross in the world today. So this morning, let's look together at the controversy of the cross. I'm going to be straightforward with you. I want you to listen to me. Come in close if you can't hear me. You are not a Christian. You are mine. And you're watching this sermon this morning. If you are not a Christian, you cannot pick up your cross. You are dead in your sin, and you need to be born again. When we pick up our cross daily, we're going to find that it brings controversy. The pastor for almost 30 years, I am amazed that it never changed. A young person comes to know Jesus Christ, a teenager, a young person in their 20s, perhaps they're living at home, and their life changes, and all of a sudden the family then cannot embrace the cross that this young person has now brought home, and it becomes controversial in the home. See, I was no exception to that. When I became a Christian at the tender age of 19 years old, I brought home the Bible. I brought home God. I brought home the cross. I brought home discipleship. I brought home what it means to be a Christian. I brought home something called witnessing. And it became controversial in my family's home. Some of you are experiencing that right now. I want you to know you're not alone. No, it feels like you are alone. It's controversial in families worldwide. I remember when I became a Christian, my family had a complete heart attack. Some of you can testify to that. You were there the day I put Jesus in my heart. My friends, the ones that I hung around thought I had died and fell off of the face of the earth. They would meet me a couple of weeks later, a couple of months later, and you know what they said? They said, what happened to you? I said, I met God. I met Him. I met Him in His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. It was amazing love. It was amazing forgiveness. It was peace that surpasses all understanding. And church, I experienced it too. See, when we get saved, we start following Jesus. I've learned something. My family began noticing something different about me. They didn't mind that I started going to church Sunday morning. What they did mind was the things that I used to be able to do, I could no longer do. No longer did I have a love for it. In fact, it got to be where it was something that I hated doing. Or something that I said, I can't do that, Mom. I can't do that, Dad. I can't do that, Brother, anymore. Saved people, listen to me now, saved people bring controversy. And when you pick up the cross and follow after Jesus, you will bring controversy. If you don't believe me, bring the cross into any employment place in America today. The controversy lies within the difference in you. What you once agreed with and enjoyed has become now acceptable to you. And families, and that's what I'm going to focus in on today, families have a hard time accepting that. In fact, it becomes controversial. My family used to make fun of me. Men said, we can't go here because the super Christian is coming with us. 
It, it hurt, you know, so to say, that's a badge of honor. Let me tell you, it was like a barge in my heart. So let's look at a family in the Bible this morning. Someone brought change. Remember now, we're looking at the cross, what it means to pick up the cross. It's a sermon series. We're looking at the controversy of the cross this morning. And we're looking at a family who did something. It was normal to them. And out of a sudden, out of somewhere, out of nowhere, if you will, somebody says, I can't. become one in God's family, and that means you are a part of God's Israel, and that means you are the apple of His eye. Hallelujah! Amen! What a rich heritage you now have because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Look with me in Genesis 24. Let's read 29 and 31 here. Now, Rebecca had a brother whose name was Babon. Babon ran out to the man by the well. Just to give you a little background. Just give you a little bit of background. Abraham had his wonderful wife, of Sarah at this time. Her name was changed to Sarah. And uh, he decides it's time for my son Isaac, the son of promise, to get married. And he tells his most trusted servant, you can't go and get a daughter of the inhabitants around me to marry my wife. You've got to go to my family and my kindred to get a wife for my son Isaac. So the most trusted servant gets on a camel, in fact, he takes a caravan of camels, marches across the desert, and he ends up at this well. And that's where we're picking up here in the story where we meet Rebecca. Now, Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban, and Laban ran out to the man by the well because, remember, this most trusted servant is already prayed. He's already saying, God, if this is who you want my servant Isaac to have, then she's going to say this, and of course she says it. And, well, almost the contract was made. He even put the ring in her nose, and in those days, that's like putting an engagement ring on her finger. Look here with me in verse 30. So it came to pass when he saw the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrist, and when he heard the words of his sister, Rebekah saying, Thus the man spoke to me, that he went to the man, and there he stood by the camels at the well. And he said, Come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. Now, Rebekah grew up with Laban. There is no question about that. He is her brother. He's probably her older brother. Either if he isn't, in this day and time in the Bible, men outweighed women. I'm not getting a lot of amens on that. But they did. They outweighed women. It, it didn't matter what a woman thought. And it didn't matter what she wanted. Most of the time, it was what a man wanted. Now, most of us know the truth. What happens behind closed doors is women tell their husbands what they want. Somebody say amen. I'm telling you right now, I've been married 25 years, and that has not changed. Not one time. And you're going to see that in the story as well, where a wife is going to tell her husband, this is what I want, and she's going to, well, influence her husband if she use that kindly into doing what she wants. Rebecca grew up with Laban. Laban is in charge of the family at this time, and somewhere, sometime, a trait was taught to the members of his family, and that trait was, guess what? Deception. There it was, deception. And deception, as we know, cannot be a part of Christianity. We are lovers of the truth. In fact, we're supposed to embrace the truth. Here's something for you. Jesus Christ is the truth. Amen? We're supposed to shine with the truth, proclaim the truth, hold on to the truth, no matter what. And we're going to meet someone in this family later on 
However, somewhere in seed time, this trait was passed on to the family, and that trait was deception. We don't know where it actually started out. We don't know where it came from. We know if you look deep down in Abraham genealogy, Abraham's told by God, get up out of your land, out of your father's house, to a land I'll show you. Come by yourself and bring your wife only. But he brings not only his wife, but he brings his nephew Lot with him as well. So we already see some spark of it happening there. Some sort of, well, I'll just do a little bit more. I'll do a little bit less. I think it's okay. Now check this out with me. Genesis 27, and we're going to move around a little bit here, and I apologize for that, and I'm going to hurry through this because we get out of here at 12 o'clock, not 1. Amen? I knew I got a witness on that. All right, Genesis 27, 5. Look at verse 8. Look at 11 and 12 with me. Here we go in verse 5. Now, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to Esau's son. And just to give you a little background here, remember, Rebekah grew up in the bond. We already know there's some sort of deception being passed down through this family, and we're going to see a picture of it here. Rebekah's listening when Isaac spoke to Esau's son. What's happening here is, remember, Jacob and Esau are born. They're, they're twins. Esau's born first. Jacob loves Esau a little bit more than he does Jacob. And the reason why is because Esau's a little bit more of an outdoorsy kind of guy. He's a manly man. He's a roughneck of a boy. Jacob is a little bit more homely, a little bit more in the books, a little bit more into what does mom need and I'll take care of the family. And Jacob kind of, well, I think Jacob is kind of living his life a little bit through Esau there. However, it's not, none of my business there. Excuse me, Isaac's kind of living his life there through, uh, through Esau. Uh, what happens, though, is we get this picture of it's time for Isaac to die. And Isaac calls his son Esau in. He says, I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to give you the final blessing, making you Lord of the household, giving you the eldest son's possessions, etc., etc., etc. You know the rest of the story. Now, with that being said, Rebecca overhears it. And remember, Rebecca grew up with Laban. That's why we read that earlier. And somewhere in that family, a trait is passed on. And that trait is deception. Now, let's see what Rebecca carries that trait on into this family. Let's see in verse 5. Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to Esau's son, and Esau went to the field to hunt game and to bring it. Now we're looking at verse 8. Now therefore, my son, this is Rebekah speaking to Jacob, obey my voice according to what I commanded you. And Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, look, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man. This is verse 11. And I am a smooth-skinned man. And in verse 12, perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be a deceiver to him. And I shall bring a curse on myself and not a blessing. In other words, she said, let's fool your, your father Isaac. Remember, in his eyes, are not good anymore. He's not just wearing bifocals. He's working triple and, and five times bifocals. He can't see. Anything. That guy's blind as a bat. And so what we're going to do is we're going to put some skin on him that feels like Esau. How many of you know Jews are usually hairy? Praise God. Two. Esau had these big hairy arms, right? And so what happened? She said, you need to go out in the field, kill the goat, and we'll put the goat's skin on your smooth arms so that when your father feels it, he'll say, it's Esau. And so we see the deception starting to happen. She actually is going to ask questions. You read the whole story. Is What if he hears my voice? She's going to say, no, just tell him it's Esau. And, of course, she ends up winning Jacob over to her point of view. And the first deception in this family now happens. 
We don't know where it started in Laban's family. All we know is that Rebecca picked it up somewhere. She grew up with Laban, and we're not putting the blame on Laban. We might go all the way back into the family. Somewhere down the line, Laban learned it. Somewhere down the line, Rebecca learned it. And here we can see where Rebecca is teaching it to her son, Jacob. And how many of you know Jacob has absolutely no problem deceiving people later on? The first deception in this family. And incidentally, remember, we're talking about the cross. The cross brings controversy. And one of the controversies we need to look at is that it will stop destructive family circles in its tracks. Somebody say amen. The cross can stop alcoholism. The cross can stop drug abuse. The cross can stop spousal abuse. The cross stops adultery. The cross stops all those destructive family circles. And we see a picture here in deception. Somewhere Rebecca learns it. Somewhere down the line she learns it from Laban or from the family. And she starts instituting it in her family right now. Here it comes from her mother, from Mother Rebecca. She plans to deceive her husband by disguising Jacob as Esau. And of course, it succeeds. We're not going to spend time reading the story, but of course, it succeeds. Esau is extremely upset. He threatens to kill Jacob, his brother. And well, you know, Rebecca, she sends Jacob to her brother, Laban. Of course, if you'll read the rest of Genesis 27, you'll find out. She goes into her husband, Isaac, and says, I'm sick and tired of all these women around me. Send Jacob down to my family to get a new wife. And of course, he does what his wife wants. That is manipulation. She's learned it quite well. When you know Rebecca, she sends Jacob to her brother Laban by using Isaac, her husband. And while with Laban, guess what happens to Jacob? He does. He gets deceived. Who could have predicted that? Genesis 29, look with me in verses 21 through 23, and then we'll jump into 25 to 27. Let's look at another deception in this family. Verse 21 to 21, Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife. We just talked about this last Wednesday night. For my days are fulfilled, and I may go into her. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. Now it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. He deceived Jacob, puts a veil on Leah, brings her into the wedding chamber, and Jacob doesn't know it's Leah. He takes it's his wife, Rachel. And, of course, he wakes up in the morning, and he's had the, the vows, if you will, with Leah. So he gets a little bit upset here. Let's take a look at what happens. Verse 25. So it came to pass in the morning that, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, what is this you've done to me? Well, it's normal family action for Laban, obviously. Can I get an amen there? Laban is teaching it. He's taught it to his sister, Rebecca. Rebecca's teaching it to Jacob. And Jacob's now experiencing it firsthand from his uncle, Laban. What is this you've done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, it must not be done so in our country to give the younger before the first one. You know what? If he'd have just told Jacob that in the first place, things would have been a lot easier. Go like this. That means amen to the Baptist church. How many of you also believe this? That Jacob probably was like, now I'll, I'll find somebody else. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to hang around that long. Then again, it might not have been seven years. It might have just been seven days, right? Look at verse 27. This is what Laban says. Fulfill her weeks, and we will give you this one, Rachel, also, for the service that you will serve with me soon another seven years. In other words, he deceived Jacob. He's serving seven years for Rachel. He ends up giving Jacob Leah, and then says, serve me seven more years for Rachel. That's something Rebecca learned, and you can see the deception that she put on her son there. And that's something. 
like your brother Esau. Put on his clothes so you can smell like him. Lie to your father and tell him, it's me, your firstborn Esau. That is deception. And somewhere down the line, Rebecca learned it. And she taught it to Jacob. And Jacob is experiencing now firsthand in his family. Well, who could have predicted this? Can you see the controversy already brewing? Surely you can. The cross forces us to be honest. It forces us to excuse evil. That's the old King James word there. What does it mean? It means to hate it. To hate it. Some of us right now, some of us in the church, some of us online are facing the same controversy. It feels like you versus your family. Don't do it happen again. Look at me in Genesis 31. Look at me again, verses 5 through 7. Said to them, I see your father's countenance. Now, this is Jacob speaking to his wives, multiple wives. Remember? He had Rachel, he had Leah, and incidentally, he ended up marrying some of their handmaids. Verse 5, he said to them, I see your father's countenance, Laban, that is not favorable toward me and so forth. But the God of my father has been with me, and you know that with all my might I have served your father. And that's true. He did good things for Laban. Look at verse 7. Yet your father has deceived me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not allow him to curse me. Can you ask yourself a question this morning? Let me do online. Ask yourself, how long would you stay employed with someone who said, hey, I contracted with you for $10 an hour, but I'm going to have to lower it to nine fifty. Will you stay? To nine twenty five, to 9 to eight seventy five, All the way down 10 times. Would you stay employed there? Most of you would say, probably not. Not unless I really, really, really like what I was doing. Jacob is now receiving the deception. It's funny to me, he was deceiving when he was working with his mama, but now he's on the receiving end and he's being deceiving. And finally, he's come to the point, i got to get my family out of here. I wonder, I'm just thinking here as a dad, but I wonder how much Jacob said, I need to let my kids learn this stuff. How many times I need to let my kids see this man deceived me before we get up and get out of here. Well, Jacob finally realizes something has to change. He heads for his home with his family. You know the story. You know what happens. You're going through the Esau. Esau talking about come home with me and there's a little anger in his voice, there's a little jealousy there, there's a little bit of suspicion, a little bit of, uh, well, Jacob has seen that a couple of times in his life and he decides not to follow Esau. I'm going to share with you a quote by a man named Frederick Douglass. How many of us know that what is already taught is extremely hard to unteach? Frederick Douglass said, it's easier to build strong children than to repair broken Good quote, isn't it? Jacob is finally coming to his senses. See, my children are learning something. Rebecca, mama learned it. She taught it to me. I was taught it firsthand by Levon, and now my children are learning it. Though I might not be the one showing it to them, Uncle Levon, Grandpa Levon is showing this to my children. It's time for us to get up, get out, 
get God, cut our losses, and say, He is great to stop. However, Jacob's boys have watched him on as he does. And it should come as no surprise as to what happens next. In fact, they learned this their entire life. How to lie, how to cheat, how to deceive, how to tell somebody. Well, that is what really what happened. You know what I call those guys? Politics professors. <laughs> how to stay in power. How to not be blamed. How to put it on something else. How to say, well, this rule said that. Or this constitution said this. Or this obscure penalty caused that. No, 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 no. And that's what they did with Joseph. Now, let's just make this. Remember, Jacob's a very easy target. So let's look at me in Genesis 37, 31 and 33 here. So they took Joseph's tunic. And just to give you a little background here, Joseph had been born. Joseph is the king of dreams, if you will. He has some dreams. He shares them with his brothers. He becomes Joseph, excuse me, Jacob's favorite son. He gives him a coat of many colors. He sends them out to his brothers. And, of course, they see him coming. Well, you, you can't help but see that coat of many colors coming a long way off. You should be reminded of something in the New Testament about seeing somebody coming a long way here comes this boy. And the brothers get together and they're like, this is cattle pain. we got to do something about it. And they, they catch him and they strip his coat off and they throw him down in the pit. Now Reuben, Reuben decides, well, we got to save this kid. I'm going to double cross my brothers and I'm going to get him out of the pit and take him back home, but I'm going to tell Dad. And this is kind of implied deep down inside of you. I'm going to tell Dad, don't send him out without protection anymore because these are cattle-tailed, sissy brats. He doesn't need to be hanging around with us tough guys. We got this, and he can stay at home and, and have the dreams all he wants to, but he needs to see under your protection, Dad. But that's not what happened. Let's find out what happened. Look at me in Genesis 37, 31, and 32. So they took Joseph's tunic, they killed the kid of the goat, and they dipped the tunic in the blood. Then they sent the tunic of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, We have found this. Do you know whether it is your son's tunic or not? Recognized it, said it is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Without doubt, Joseph is torn to This is Reuben's idea. After he sold Joseph into slavery, Reuben wanted to get him out of the pit and take him back home. The brothers sell Joseph out from under Reuben, so they actually kind of deceive each other. You know what's funny? Those brothers even deceive Reuben. So Joseph got from under him. However, Reuben was planning on double crossing him, as we just talked about as well. And he wanted to bring Joseph back again. This was a family of lies and deception. Starting out, let's just stop at Laban, though we could probably go earlier and earlier and earlier if we had that in history. But it's something that's taught. It's a vicious family cycle. How to lie, how to cheat, how to deceive. And we see it coming out in Rebecca when she deceives her husband. You see it in Jacob as he's deceived by Laban. And we see it, even though he's not doing much of the deception, but we see it in his son now, deceiving him. Dad, you sold your son into slavery. That's not what they told him. Your son is dead. You can already see the controversy is definitely brewing. Some of you read the rest of Genesis, and you know what happened. So you know, there is a controversy coming. And when we pick up our cross daily, we crucify ourselves. This is controversial to 
everyone who isn't following God. Now, Joseph was removed from his family. And that's what we need to pick up here. And when we look in the controversy of the cross, when we pick up our cross daily and follow after him, that means we are moving ourselves out of old familiar territory and moving ourselves into the will and the plan of God. And when we choose to do that, to pick up our cross and follow after him, then we will find ourselves becoming controversial to the rest of the world. And it begins with our family. Some of you are experiencing that right now. And you know the rest of Joseph's story. He was removed from his family, learning finally that God desires truth from the inward man, not religious expressions on the outside. And I want to be openly honest with you. You can be in church every day of your life. You can do religious things every day of your life. But until you have a personal, loving relationship through God the Son, with God the Father, then you're not a Christian, and you're not following God, and you're not in God's will. Now, Joseph's story is a picture of where he is taken up out of his family. This vicious family cycle of lies and deception wasn't breaking. So out of a sudden, God removed family member. You know Joseph's story. Let's see how it ends. See, that is, you know, we're often already thinking how it's going to end. Some of you already know Joseph reveals himself to his brother. He kind of deceives them a little bit for a little while, doesn't he? Just a little bit. He's kind of like, how long should I keep this charade going? They don't recognize me. How many of you know when you come back from church as a born-again, blood-bought, redeemed Christian, your family looks at you like you're Joseph, like you're some kind of weirdo. Or like this. That means amen in the bed. I remember the way my family looked at me when I came home saying things like, praise God, God saved me, God washed me, bless God. And you know my favorite southern saying, bless your heart. Here we go. They didn't recognize Joseph, but Joseph recognized them. He sure did. He let them come a couple of times. He kind of strung it out a little bit. But you might say Joseph learned a little bit too, but Joseph revealed himself in the end. I am Joseph, your brother. There is one more picture. There's one more. Finally. Finally. Revealing the truth because you can't carry on with deception anymore. Look with me in Genesis 50. Look with me in verses 16 through 17. Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead. Remember, Jacob had moved down into Egypt with Joseph. And this is what they say here in verse 16. Perhaps Joseph will hate us. Well, if anybody ever had reason, amen, may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to them. You sold that boy into slavery. Stop. Stop and think about that for a second. They sold him into slavery. That's a lot worse than your brother or sister saying something about you. That's a lot worse than your Christian brother or sister misinterpreting something you said or disagreeing with you. And we get mad over those things, don't we? And we hold back. We hold ourselves. Sold Joseph into prison. 
sold him into slavery. He was afraid. He was accused of rape. He's in prison for years. He comes out. And this is what they say. So they sent messengers to Joseph. Verse 16, the brothers. Isn't that like a bunch of brothers? I'm going to send you a text or something. They sent messengers to Joseph saying, Before your father died, he commanded, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin. They did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of the servant of the God of your father. And Joseph wept and spoke to him. I mean, you know that's not written in the Bible. That's something the brothers sent to Joseph. said, Hey, now that dad's dead, perhaps you'll be angry at us because you don't want to make dad sad. We're going to take out your revenge on us. They send Joseph this letter. Dad told us that you need to forgive us. Boy, that's a whopping what is a whopping right there. Boy, that's a lie with a capital L, isn't it? And now you know what's happening? You know what's going on here? They're deceiving one more time. Let's just take what we learned of Jacob. After all of this has happened, do you think Jacob would trust his son to tell Joseph something? He would have pulled Joseph in there himself and said, Forgive your brother. How do you know that? Jacob didn't say that. I don't know about you. After that kind of family life, I would trust anyone to say what I said. I would have to say it myself to whom we would speak. I think it's a safe bet to assume that this was now the case in Jacob. Like he didn't have to say that at all because he saw a brand new creation. He saw a brand new creature. He saw somebody who was blood bought, somebody who was redeemed, somebody who had faith and a relationship with God Almighty. What happened to Joseph? Don't think it's just controversial about Joseph. All those bad things happened to Joseph. He's slaves, he's accused of rape, he's in prison, he comes out. Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. This is how he responded when he sent that message. Don't be afraid. For am I in the place of God? Joseph is not God. Amen. But as for you, you meant evil against me. See, Joseph knows. You meant evil against me. He knew their lie. He knew their deception. I guarantee you, some of those nights, he and his daddy sat down and said, Dad, please admit to me. All those years, you didn't send the boys out looking for me. You didn't use your money, your wealth, your influence as one of the most powerful men in this area to find your son, your favorite son, whom you gave this wonderful coat. I wasn't asked that question too. He was now prime minister of Egypt. Why in the world didn't he send some Egyptians out to go talk to his dad? It's been years. Pharaoh, he gives them a brand new coat. 
seeing this thing is in red. Are you seeing the picture? Are you seeing the picture? Satan even said that I'll be like a father. We're still doing it today. And it's still one of the hardest things in the world for even the most experienced Christian to do. It's called forgiving. It's called forgiving. Forgiving those who despitefully use you. For those who deceive you. For those who lie to you. For those who use you. For those who smite you on one cheek. We're to turn to them the other cheek. Thank you. 
you all the glory, even now, in Jesus' name. Would you come as we sing? Oh, how he loves you and me. Come on. Would you come?
God has been good to me. Go ahead, be seated, please. This time I ask that deacon to come forward. From the scriptures, the Bible tells us, First Corinthians chapter eleven, starting verse twenty-three. The Bible says, "For I received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This is do as you remember it for me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the new testament in my blood. This do you as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup." Show the Lord's death till he comes. This time I want to actually remove the top seal of the cup. The Bible instructs us firmly remember what Jesus has done for us. Remember what he did for us. We talked about embracing the cross this morning. We sang about the cross. And I want you to think about what Jesus did for us at the cross. This little bread is what we remember what he did for us. How it was broken for us. And I want you to look with me again. Verse 23, For I received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was prayed. He took the bread, and he had given thanks. He broke it and said, Take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Brother David, you took it to the Lord in prayer.
sing to Him. Let's worship Him. Let's tell Him how great He is. There's been a lot of tradition. Over 30 years of ministry to conclude every Lord's Supper service and singing to Him. I'm going to ask Brother Robert to come. Lead us in my favorite Lord's Supper song, Jesus Loves Me. Let it be our closing prayer. Let it be our closing song. Brother Robert.